Hier komen wij in vreemd. listening to Red Flag Radio, we're recording the show on an Indigenous land that was stolen and never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And the voice you hear in the introduction to our show saying, I hope that you can hear us, Jimmy, is uh, the voice of Leon Trotsky. And uh, we're feeling the same way tonight as we stretch the bounds of internet technology and communication with millions of other people all around the world suddenly doing everything um, that we normally do in other ways online. So bear with us for the sound quality and bear with us for the connections that we're trying to make. But the main connection we try to make on this show, Red Flag Radio, is a connection with revolutionary socialist politics, with the history of our movement, uh, with the theory that goes along with that history and with people who've been participants in the struggles that um, have come before and the struggles that, my God, are we facing right now in this time of the pandemic of COVID-19. My name is Ros Ward. I'm the host of the show. My um, comrade Liam Ward in a different place to me is the producer of the show. Hi, Liam. Hi. And um, we're asking for your support on Patreon and um, all around the left, all around the world, things are being stretched, uh, really. Our capacity to organise, our capacity to fundraise, is stretched more than ever. So one way to fundraise, not just for this podcast really, but for revolutionary socialist activism in Australia right now is through patreon.com forward slash red flag radio podcast. And we've got more and more people coming on board. I know finances might be tight for a lot of people, but if you do have anything you can spare to put into um, Patreon, red flag radio podcast, we really appreciate it. And we'll also if you give us uh, $10 a month, um, give you a free subscription, a digital subscription to Red Flag newspaper. And I would highly recommend following the reporting of the current situation and the analysis of that situation in Red Flag newspaper, which is online. Um, and people can find that as well in the links to the show, uh, in the show notes. So this episode, we're focusing on one of the biggest issues that's been uh, coming up in the last few days, which is the question of what's happening with schools and what's happening with childcare centres in Australia in particular, uh, where we're recording this. And I'm joined by three special guests, Cathy, uh, Maya and Anita. We're recording this podcast on the evening of Tuesday the 24th of March, so things may have changed by the time you listen to this. Um, so bear that in mind, things are changing very rapidly, as you all know. We really appreciate you being with us at Red Flag Radio, whatever you're doing as you're listening to the show. So let me introduce Kathy first of all. Kathy, you're the parent um, you, of a primary school student, year six student, um, and you've been one of the people organising and campaigning around schools um, being shut down. Do you want to just talk through some of the... Um, some of the things that have been happening in the last few days and why you think it's just so important um, that this campaign is happening to try to shut down schools as quickly as possible? Yeah, sure. Hi, Roz. Hi, Liam. Hi, Anita. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really happy that we can still keep this podcast going amid, amongst everything that's happening. It's really important that 
you know, we're still able to maintain some sort of level of organisation and um, socialist politics and organising is going to become, as you said, like really, really important. So, yeah, thanks for inviting us on. Um, so I'm just going to give you like a quick snapshot because obviously things are shifting and changing like day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. But um, effectively the government's policy around um, the closure of schools or maintaining the opening of schools has from the offset been, um, you know, Orwellian. Um, and it can be described, I guess, in a three-word kind of slogan business as usual with the emphasis on business. Um, so initially the Morrison government and the state premiers um, formed a united front and very strongly came out against school closures, which then we saw led to a widespread and um, ever-deepening rebellion effectively with parents actively going against the government's approach and pulling their children from schools en masse. Um, and due to this grassroots pressure, we're now starting to see a whole bunch of divisions start to form between the federal and state and territory governments. And as of um, Sunday the 22nd, both Victoria and ACT have announced that schools um, there will be shut um, and that actually came into place as of today. But um, they were really careful not to appear like they were forced to do anything and so they framed it as... Um, you know, like just bringing the school holidays forward. And I think that's because they're really trying to maintain a veneer of control over the situation. But the reality on the ground is that parents and teachers have made the policy effectively a dead letter. Um, so we've seen and heard reports from state governments themselves that attendance everywhere has basically halved as parents have like just kept their children at home. Independent and private schools last week shut up shop and um, as of the 21st when I checked out the, um, the government's education department website, over 25 schools had just, you know, unilaterally made their own decision to close um, and ignored what the government uh, was telling them to do. Um, so on Sunday night, um, Scott Morrison or Slomo as we're calling him now in his presser, he really tried to rein things in um, but managed not only to piss off like millions more parents by being patronising and berating them for being um, irresponsible, but also like in the same breath managed to can like succeed in creating mass confusion. Um, so he's done an excellent job in undermining what little authority he had left. Um, and, you know, this is very like the memory of um, the lack of response from the government to the bushfires I think is still very fresh in people's minds. So I think that's significant. Um, and as it stands, all the other states and territories, um, apart from ACT and Victoria, will now give parents the choice to keep their children at home. But officially, um, the word that they're all sort of, you know, chanting um, is schools are still open. Um, but really, it's hardly a choice if you're a casual and you have to decide between keeping your job or protecting your family. Um, but like in Victoria and ACT, it's still like really unclear whether or not teachers and education, educators will continue to be pay, pay, like paid. So we need clarity around that, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but the arguments that Slomo has been using has also have to shift and change as it becomes, you know, increasingly clear that he's like lost control of the situation. The horse, the horse is bolted. 
Um, so literally nobody believes that it's safe for kids to be at school. And, um, you know, everybody is really concerned for the safety of teachers and staff and, like, they just recognise it's impossible for teachers and students to implement social distancing in schools. Um, so now he's arguing that, like, kids will somehow, like, weirdly congregate at trampoline venues <laughs> um, and they'll be marauding through the streets, spreading the disease everywhere. Um, but he's also now making the argument that parents are really irresponsible and they aren't taking into consideration their children's education, which apparently he is. But, like, I want to say behind all of this, like, the real reason he's wanting schools to stay open is actually pretty straightforward um, and it's in what he says in his three-word slogan itself. He wants he wants business to go on as usual. Um so, actually, school staying open isn't about the kids directly. It's actually about the parents of the kids and not just those that are in central services, but all of them, um, so specifically working-class parents. Um, he wants workers to continue to work for as long as possible to continue to make profits for bosses. His lens mm. isn't one about public health. It's about the maintenance and functioning of capitalism. So, it's really not about the kids at all. Um, and pretty much the kids understand that themselves. Um, yeah, so basically that's kind of the, the snapshot of where things are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been incredible really and people have sort of commented on not just um, slow-mo, scomo, but on other world leaders, like the lack of clarity, the confusion, what are we supposed to do, what are we not supposed to do, who's making decisions? As if, like, what you know, why can't they just say what we're supposed to do? But I think that's missing the point in some ways because the point is to not be clear. Because if you were clear, you would have to admit what you're just saying, Kathy. Like, mm-hmm. you'd have to say, no, we're keeping the, cl- the schools open because we need those kids' parents to be going and doing their jobs and keeping the economy going because we're worried shitless that if people stop going to work, everything is just going to tank. And we've gotten, we have no idea how to pull capitalism out of that kind of level of wreckage. So really we don't give a fuck about the children or the teachers or their bloody grandparents or whoever else because people are going to die and, you know, you might find all of this confusing but we're not actually going to tell you the truth because that would be too obvious. It would be really pulling back the curtain on that whole exactly. you know, horrific barbarity of capitalism. Um, so. You said there that uh, students know. Well, let's ask a student, Maya, who's there with you, Kathy, um, about what you're thinking in all of this. Like, what have you? Have, were your friends already talking about whether you should be at school or not? Do people know, um, or how do people feel about being forced to go to school at the moment if their parents aren't letting them stay home? Well, me and my friends all have different parents. As my mom um, on Sunday told me um, I was going to stay at home, she wanted me to do social distancing from school. Um, but my friend's parents, they, one of my friends that live on the same street as me, she stayed home on one day, but because of her parents um, not being together anymore, she continued to go to school. And I thought, like it's horrible the government should um close schools and have like people looking after the children 
but not like force it on parents because their children are going to school. And um, yeah, me and my friends so were scared. We were scared because like we heard what happened in Italy and what happened in China and we continue to talk about it during school also on uh, news um, they have for kids. It's always about coronavirus. The teachers always have a worried look on their face, yet they still do nothing about it. Mm. And do you feel, how do you, what do you think your teachers feel about being forced to keep teaching as well? Do you think they're worried as well? They're probably worried because just in my class, that's 28 people and out of every single person in my whole entire school, there's around 800 people. So yeah. there's like a few teachers and all of them are worried because each day they have to spend nearly six and a half hours with the same students that might or may or may not have coronavirus. And that's scary for the students and the teachers. Yeah. And you don't have four square metres each in your classroom? Um, no, that would be one person in each classroom then. We have a very small yeah, school, but very lots, lots and lots of students. Yeah, that's been a real problem, hasn't and, it? Yeah. Overcrowding in classrooms and already. It, we had to demolish yeah. lots of them just to make, build new classes. Mm. And you know how everyone keeps saying you need to wash your hands all the time and stuff like that? How, yeah. Do you think it's possible to do that in your school, Maya? Like, do you have enough sinks and soap and all of that kind of stuff? Out of my whole entire school for the children, we only have four bathrooms. Mm. And that's yeah. um, two on each side. So, no, that's not even possible at my school at all. Yeah, so even if you really wanted to do it, like, you just, it's just, you can't. It's physically not possible. And the teachers can't do it either, can they? Um, the teachers, well, all I know is they only have one bathroom and there's like 20 of them, oh. more. And, but another thing is um, with um, washing your hands every single time you, like, go outside and come back in at school, that would be hard even because of my class. Um, year sixes are divided into two groups. Um, one group stays on one side and the other group, um, group goes to the other side. Every week we have to go to the side where the office is and sit right in front of the principal's office and eat our lunch. So it would be hard for us to go outside, wash our hands, get our lunch boxes, come all the way outside again, eat, come back, wash our hands during that, and then go all the way back to our classrooms. Mm. Yeah. And how do you feel about being at home? I feel safer. Even just going outside a little bit is kind of terrifying. Even mm. like the new rules of you have to... Once you go outside, you have to wash your hands, you have to clean, you have to disinfect everything. And even with buying food, you have to do, disinfect them for four days and leave them in um, isolation. So it's scary. Yeah. I think everyone feels the same as you, Maya. Our cameras across the world. Anita, if we come to you, you, so you're the parent of a six-month-old, beautiful That's baby. Right. Yeah. Um, and you, he's been in. He's a. Um, he goes to childcare. So obviously right. there are very similar concerns about 
childcare and the safety of um, the workers in childcare and the children in childcare and then the sort of effect that that has on parents. Well, um, initially um, my concerns kind of sort of what, a few weeks ago were sort of started with so um, concerns around um, his grandparents the, um, because of age and health are in the high-risk category. So I pulled him out of um, childcare um, for a week um, a few weeks back. But then I started reading um, more and more and like everyone started to get more and more concerned at the government's inaction and concern about childcare centres open, they still are to this day, right now in Australia, across the country. Um, you know, the, the, the risks to babies and children, I mean, early on it was said, oh, don't worry about it, babies, are, you know, babies and young children don't get these, um, uh, you know, that they, they don't get serious cases. But then more and more we're actually getting more information that actually uh, babies and young children can actually get quite severe cases. Uh, 6% of uh, babies and young children can get very severe cases. Um, so it's not just as carriers of the virus. They can actually get very sick themselves. So I was concerned about um, you know, my, my baby's health, my grandparents' uh, health, and also about the workplace rights and safety for these early childhood educators. Um, this is, um, you know, there's some real concerns there. So um, what I did about it is I started to link up with some other parents, you know, just started to chat with them and see what, and also some young um, early childhood educators as well, and started to get a sense of what their concerns were. And we all had exactly the same concerns. Um, we all recognised that social distancing and sanitation difficult in schools is even more difficult in the childcare setting. And so, so many parents are seeing this now and pulling their, getting ahead, way ahead of where the government's at around this and pulling their children, children out despite the difficulties that opens in their lives um, of working from home, of juggling things and, you know, as, you know, the juggle's already enough and then you're, um, you know, working and looking after a, a child. Um, so the, the childcare that he goes to is a for profit, um, quite a big empire, really, in the in the in the, um, the scheme of things in childcare, and um, their response has absolutely been business as usual. Everything is fine. We're taking precautions, um, and also that parents must pay regardless. So um, that is pretty off, and. Um, the government has also uh, said, um, you know, a few days ago, Morrison came out saying that they would not provide the subsidy for parents that pulled their kids out of childcare. Um, uh, so that means that, for just for example, um, we were looking at costs of $135 a day, um, so uh, to not to not get childcare. Basically, that's what we're talking about. Just just to do the right thing here, <laughs> the socially just thing to do around workers' rights and around the health and well-being of people in the community. Mm. So um, that there has been some little bit more information over the last hour that might have shifted a little bit about the subsidy. They've softened a little bit maybe, but we're waiting a bit more information there and we know that it's going to be very limited and we are very concerned about workers' rights, in particular the early childhood e educators and their future is quite uncertain at this stage what's going to happen. Yeah, and we, we understand through the Workers Organising Resistance in the Pandemic Facebook page, which I hope everyone is following, Workers Organising Resistance in the Pandemic. You should be able to find the page and link to the group, but some of the discussions in there about child uh, early childhood educators being told um, if we end up having to shut the centre, 
basically you will get paid um, any leave that you have in lieu and then that's it, you'll be unpaid. You can't even take sick, you can't even be paid your sick leave in these um, private profit making. And as you say, Anita, some of them are big businesses which would be receiving the government subsidy for business and so on. And it really does expose the, um, the real profit-making, money-grabbing, sort of horrible nature of childcare in Australia, and we'll come back to that. Um, but I think some of the arguments around um, schools and why it's, why it's been so important to the government to keep schools open, Cathy, if we can just say something about, you know, as socialists, our understanding of schools and mm. the role of schools in society. I think this really, again, just sort of highlights a bunch of the stuff that we would say about that. Yeah, yeah. Talk well, about that for a second. I guess um, schools are the biggest and most wide-reaching public institution that we have in society, um, and they perform several quite distinct functions. They're where many working-class students are introduced to institutionalised punishment for the first time. Kids are taught how to wave a flag, fed like a very particular version of Australian history and how the world works. Um, so um, education under capitalism for working-class kids performs both an ideological role um, and a disciplinary one. So schools are both a propaganda machine and a drill sergeant. Um, and public education helps to strengthen class inequalities by training up the next generation of workers to be exploited and training them to effectively to respect authority and submit to rules and punishment. Um, and they want them to grow up to become adults who do that. Um, so they're literally, you know, trained to respond to a bell, line up outside a classroom, don't talk, wear the right uniform, um, complete all their assignments and follow the teacher's orders and so on. Um, so the end point for working class kids is to become a compliant um, and disciplined worker. Um, and so all these things that they're taught are really important for the ruling class in order for them to extract maximum profits from a new generation of workers. Um, but more subtly, the education system teaches kids not to think in a critical way. So um, history lessons just brush over events that might make young minds question the status quo. Um, you know, or things, for example, like, you know, the genocide of Aboriginal people. It's not what kids are taught. Another function it performs is that employers are, uh, require a labour force with skills necessary to do the work that creates their profits. Um, and so I really think that this crisis has brought to the fore a whole series of arguments put by the government that not only go against common sense um, but, you know, are being put by the experts themselves. So, like, as you said, Roz, they've put forward an approach that is intended to obscure the reality behind all of this. Um, so we've seen a situation where there's 2,500 doctors who penned an open letter to the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, recommending school closures. They just completely ignored that. You know, report after report is now coming out saying that kids can be impacted. Teachers are fighting, parents are fighting, and they're ignoring all of all of this. So, really, unless you kind of understand the role of education for working class kids um, and working class like their parents as workers in the functioning of capitalism, it can just seem like none of this makes any sense at, at all, and that what they're doing is illogical. 
But actually, it makes perfect sense if your driving motivation isn't the safety of children, but is the, you know, the continuation of, of the profit mo- motive. So literally, business as usual. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's basically education under capitalism for working class kids. That was a great, a great summary. Um, yeah, I think there's a dual function in schools of that whole sort of social reproduction element, which is sort of reprodu- reproducing the um, form of society and the way people should behave and all of that kind of disciplinary stuff. But then it also plays a very important role in actual economic um, production. So the fact that workers... Um, can work and their kids can be taught how to become workers is about that whole profit motive of capitalism again. So it definitely uh, it definitely reveals that. And actually, if teachers got to organise schools themselves and were not dictated to by, you know, the head of the Department of Education or the Prime Minister, they would have shut down schools. There's no doubt in my mind that if schools were run on a democratic basis, teachers would have shut them down a very long time ago on the basis of the evidence because, the, you know, people can read the evidence, they can see what's happened in other countries and they would have um, shut down schools and they care about, you know, teachers care deeply about and mm-hmm. childcare workers obviously care deeply about the children that they um, work with every day. And, yeah. Anita, when we were talking about childcare before, like Australia has um, some of the most expensive childcare in the world very limited government subsidies. Um, most people have to use private childcare providers. And as you say, you're allowed a certain number of absences. It, it's like the discipline of school begins with your three-month-old baby in childcare being marked in or out every day. If you're absent too many times, you lose your subsidy. So you just pay, you have to pay um, every single day. There's one report that I read about the cost of some childcare is more expensive than um, sort of independent school fees. This is, this is how expensive it is. So this crisis, again, reveals all of that, the fragility or the fuckness, if you want to put it a different way, of the structure of childcare in Australia. So what kind of, what kind of issues do you think are important there? Oh, there's so many, and they've been well um, covered in the media over coming uh, the last few years. But one of the big ones is what you said before is about exorbitant fees. Um, the, these pro- private providers charge well in excess of the subsidies that people get, and the fees have actually skyrocketed over the um, since the um, Liberals got in power in 2013. We've actually seen a um, 34% increase over that time. So that's a big one, I think, for a lot of people. Um, there's also an immense shortage of places. Like, you know, you hear these stories um, as a, some of these things I had, wasn't aware of until I had a baby. Like, people don't talk about as much. But it's like you put your, put your baby on a waiting list when they're, like, born and then you, you don't get a call until they're at primary school that they've got a place when you're no longer needed childcare place anymore. That's how hard it is to get into some of these centres and then how immense the shortage of places um, are. Um, and then there's also the subsidy system itself, I think, is it's incredibly confusing um, and unjust. Um, so the, these, these subsidy systems disadvantage many, but in particular, they disadvantage full-time working uh, class mums because, um, because there's caps on the, um, on the entitlements. And for a lot of um, uh, 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 
uh, mums that are on low incomes for, um, as a group, like they actually, it's just not worth it to actually work. The, they, they pay more in, um, in childcare costs than what it would, they would get um, working. So that um, that some of those things are kind of the um, you know have been bubbling along as issues in Australia for some time, but I think more generally that Morrison wants childcare. I mean, Kathy said it like wants childcare to stay open because um, workers can keep going to work and getting exploited to make profits for the economy. That's absolutely why childcare services are be kept open, not out of care for the children, not out of care for you know um, you know anything. Anything, any, anyone like the the, the the staff, or let alone the, you know, the workers working from home as well. That the, the parent actually they want them to stay open because um, workers uh, that have kids in childcare are making profits for the boss. It's that simple. Mm. The way of the revolution. So people hearing this probably, uh, like us, are pretty um, enraged by the whole situation for children, whether they're in schools or in childcare. For the workers in childcare, obviously there's been an ongoing campaign around um, paying early childhood educators fairly. They get paid way less than teachers in primary school. They're completely undervalued. And the Big Steps campaign has been part of that um, union response. But obviously there's heaps more that needs to be done in that area. Um, so workers organising resistance, Cathy, have been trying to campaign. Um, we set up the boycott to start on Monday this week um, mm-hmm. to try to force the issue. We've had unionist, teacher unionists agitating within the unions to do more because the official union bureaucrats have been very slow, very. Um, incredibly slow and fucked, to be honest, about going along with the government line for way too long. And we know in this situation that every single day Every single hour, in fact, where people are still pushed into these situations to be in close proximity to each other, more and more people are getting infected. So it's gross, murderous negligence, to be honest, by the leadership of the trade unions and by the government. So we're taking matters into our own hands as much as we can. As socialists, that's what we encourage everyone to do at all times, to resist and to organise to do that. Can you tell us a bit more about how that campaign is going and and what we want people to be doing um, to support the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to make a point first, though, um, that sort of went back to the question you asked me earlier about, like, the role of schools because, I mean, I kind of made it sound like it's this overwhelming kind of disciplinary body and institution that, like, smashes children, but it can also be... um, you know, a place where students and teachers can come together to think of themselves as social activists and, and um, you know, campaign for social justice. And we've seen that at, throughout this. I think that's the other big lesson that's coming out of it. We've seen young people globally take the lead. Um, so here in Australia last year, hundreds and thousands of school-age kids organised to participate in the school strike for climate, uh, for climate. You know, Sloma hated that. He told them, you know, like what we want is more learning, less activism. So, of course, what he means is he wants, you know, future good little workers and not budding unionists. Um, and then we've seen like in Chile, the young people there as well take the lead, um, kicking off a mass rebellion that ended up, you know, exposing the impact of neoliberalism on Chilean workers and helping to articulate a general critique of the market. So, you know, it can also be a, a place where kids can begin to start thinking critically about capitalism when there's 
actual struggle um, and they can start to recognise it as a system um, and to see some of the dynamics of that. And I think hopefully through this struggle and some of the work that we're doing around the boycott, some of that's starting to, to come out and um, that those dynamics are starting to become exposed. But the reason why um, people need to keep fighting is because, like, they don't have our interests at heart. We know um, that, you know, the response of the bushfires was they, they abandoned us. It's only us that are going to be able to solve this problem. And I'm just, like, it's amazing to see parents and teachers and young people take the lead. Um, so we've got so much more to fight for, though, and even in Victoria and ACT where the, the schools have been closed, you know, like we still need to ensure that educators and workers, including casuals, um, you know, are paid their full wages for the duration of the shutdown. You know, contracts need to be extended and there needs to be job security to guarantee jobs for them when the schools and centres reopen. You know, parents who choose to remove their children from childcare, as Anita said, like shouldn't be charged fees or penalised in any way. Um, like we also need to keep calling on the education unions around the country um, for them to use the health and safety acts and provisions that are already there, you know, um, to urge educators, you know, to um, to in- like to ensure their health and safety. So this is sort of stuff that they could be doing, but it's going to require grassroots pressure and rank and file organisation and activity um, in unions to happen. Mm. Like there's just so much more to fight for, um, and we we need to build our side's strength. We need to build organisation and capacity and networks and feel entitled to a lot more than what they're prepared to give to us. We need to build that strength for when it comes time to re-establish a society. We want to do it on the basis of what is in the best interest, in the, in the public health interests. We want a society based off that effectively and they're not, they're not ever going to give it to us and so we're going to have to fight for it and we need to build our collective muscle in doing that. And if we can start to flex that now um, and learn um, through this experience and sort of some shared some of those um, kind of ideas that we've held um, until recently about, you know, how society operates, who makes decisions and on what basis, all that sort of stuff, um, then that will put us in, in good stead for the future. And Anita, are there other demands from the, from the um, campaign around childcare specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, our demand is, of course, close the childcare. And with that, we include full pay um, to all staff, including casuals. That's really, really important. But I think there's some, um, some further demands as well that are really important at this time. And that's things like um, the, children of, uh, the children of essential workers, you know, particularly healthcare workers. Um, they need to receive free childcare and with high um, small, in small groups um, with high levels of hygiene. That's really important that they have that option. Um, that um, the parents um, should not be charged um, childcare fees in the events of a shutdown because um, a lot of parents are concerned they're going to lose um, their places and based on the thing before, lose a place, what happens, maybe you won't get one until the kid's five or six. Um and also about um, that centres continue to receive the childcare subsidy from the government um, and that has to be tied to continued payment of staff. So, yeah, we, we, we're absolutely for the shutdown, but we're for workers' rights as well. Like, mm-hmm. that's, they're absolutely tied. There's, there's, there's a continuity of, um, of demands there. So, um, 
uh, sort of what we're planning on doing, I guess, moving forward is we really want to keep learning from what the teachers have been doing and are doing. I mean, they've done some amazing stuff over the last couple of weeks. And um, I want to continue to reach out to um, early childhood educators um, and build build on some of those connections and um, relationships, political relationships. And then there's also continue to organise through um, – as, we, as far as we can online, um, that's what we've kind of got at the moment. But, um, you know, through groups such as the, you know, the Workers' Organisation Pandemic, also known as WAR, page and, um, for that, that's often how people are starting to link up together and actually meet each other and start to talk about some of these things. And I'm finding also, because I'm kind of the parent and I'm also the, 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 work, the community worker, I'm actually linking up with people through that side as well, through um, around my community sector work as well and building relation, political relationships for organising there as well. So there's, 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 there's lots to get involved with and uh, lots to continue, to continue to fight around. I mean, surely uh, the the um, the extension of that set of demands would be to nationalise childcare. And if the government can nationalise body, um, you know, if the Italian government can nationalise Air Italia, if the British government has basically nationalised the railways, then the Australian government can nationalise childcare, pay everyone, have it hygienic, have much higher, um, lower ratios rather, um, and run it like public education from birth. Absolutely. I spent, uh, I have... Very vivid memories from my childhood of spending hours and days uh, hanging around the Frankston Library, not congregating as as in, in Morrison's worst nightmares. <laughs> I wasn't congregating with my, you know, yeah. classical music um, on yeah, yeah. outside um, the library. Loop. Uh, but no, the the Frankston Library, well, all these local library local councils used to provide uh, free childcare, and in in my case, you know, forty years ago now, uh, was run out of the local library. Like the infrastructure is already there, and my understanding is that those things were ended uh, during the Kennett era because they were considered to be counter-competitive practice because uh, childcare, like every other industry, had to be open to the competitive dictates of the market. And if Eddie Groves and his friends were trying to set up ABC Childcare uh, and charge a schoolian to, for parents to send their kids there, you couldn't have the local council undercutting him by giving it away for free. So it became illegal. Yeah, it's, it's completely fucked. Um, Mayor, I want to give you the last word here on what people can be doing to help if there are younger people listening. Um, you've done a couple of things. I've seen you make a sign um, and showing people actually, it sounds like a small thing, but actually people knowing that there are other kids out there and there are other parents out there who are feeling the same way and that they can see your face and they can see your message in a photo is actually really, really important. So what, what can kids do? How hard was it for you to make that sign um, and what do you reckon? It wasn't really that hard. I just basically wrote down what mum said. But <laughs> what? You told me to say um, put slow-mo and stuff, so I did. But who came up with the snail idea? I kind of did. I came up with the snail idea after mum like, told me the name of slow-mo. That's very, I oh, thought that was funny. very clever. It's yeah. a picture of a snail with uh, slow mo's face on it. It's excellent. Um, way kids could be sharing this, or any person is nowadays. There's lots of people use social medias, and I definitely have. Um, I've got the link for like um, the boycott and 
so much more things and I've put them all up on my social medias. I put it on my TikTok account and um, I sent it to all my friends and everything. Um, It really helps and lots of them have checked it out. Yeah. So there's plenty everyone can do, whatever age you are listening to this. And whether or not actually you have kids going to school or childcare, like this is seriously a, a whole an issue for all ordinary people, I think, and many people are very enraged about it. Um, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Kathy, Anita, um, Maya, Liam, thanks for producing the show. You can. Um, so tomorrow night um, through war, we are having a live stream session. So um, people can join parents and educators from around the country who are fighting for public health by demanding the closure of the schools. We're going to have a very first live online discussion. So um, we've never done it before. We'll see how it goes. But um, there's going to be a whole bunch of worker activists and, and parents who are going to talk about why we need to keep on fighting um, for workers' rights and safety and conditions. So you can check that out if you go to the Workers' Organising Resistance page um, and live stream it from there. Excellent. And we'll put that up in the show notes as well. People can link directly from there. Um, okay, Maya, it's time to finish the show. Uh, I think you know how we like to end this show. If you can take it away. Yes, I do. We have a world to win. 